0: Photography has evolved from being a way of documenting the world to a way of communicating. I would say there's always been too many photographs in the world, but there's never too many good ones. The way you photograph something and the way you light something should be as beautiful as you can make it. Business, creative, kit and careers. Find out about the world's leading photographers and filmmakers in Shutter Stories.
1: By now we've all heard of AI, but did you know that complex artificial intelligence is now powering systems within your camera? So in this episode, we'll be discussing how this incredible technology is being incorporated into Canon's latest cameras to help photographers work faster and ultimately more efficiently. Welcome to Shutter Stories with me, Lucy Hedges. So in today's episode, I'm joined by Helen Bartlett, a Canon ambassador and acclaimed family portrait photographer and a familiar voice on the Shutter Stories podcast, Canon product manager, Mike Bernhill. Now they're both here to discuss AI technology in Canon cameras like the EOS 1DX Mark III, the R5 and the R6. Thanks for joining us today, Mike and Helen. Hello. Hello. How are you? Good, thank you. Excellent. Well, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. So Mike, I'm going to kick off with you. Artificial intelligence is being used more and more across so many areas of technology and now in cameras. Can you tell us a little bit about AI, the role it's playing and ultimately how it's come to be a part of camera technology?
0: So what we're actually using is a variation of AI, which is called deep learning. And this is a sub set of ai so we are using ai to build an algorithm that then lives inside the camera we've used ai systems to build a database a pattern recognition system within the cameras and this system is called deep learning one of the things that photography has always struggled with a lot of cameras is although you know what you're pointing the camera at the camera doesn't so therefore achieving the right exposure and the right focusing has always been problematic because it doesn't know the difference between a person and a lamppost and this is where the deep learning and ai kind of systems are now starting to let the camera actually see and know what you're photographing um therefore allowing it to focus on the correct object uh, and not being confused by the other objects around it it it's just a, a next step evolution in cameras you We know, we moved to auto exposure and everyone's been using that for the last 40 years i'm quite comfortable with that but Focusing is much more personal and where you want to focus is much more technical decision on where the right place to be is. And it's much harder to correct uh, focus after you've taken the shot that is with exposure. Yeah. So it's really, you know, it's always been up to now. It's been about ensuring that you put the little red dot on the right person, etc., and hoping it carries it around. Now we're kind of making it easier so the camera can identify the right place and put the red dot on that person for you therefore, you can concentrate on the more important aspects of the taking a photograph, the composition and judging the exact moment.
1: So I just want to go back to what you said about this is this is an AI based deep learning system. It's not full fledged artificial intelligence. No. Because I think a lot of people sometimes don't know the difference. You know, Deep learning is not the same as AI. So it's not learning while it's shooting. That part mm, of the system is already.
0: no, done. no. Yeah. True AI is learning all the time. But as mm. I said, you would need um, a, a server farm. People will often say that their phone has AI, but actually your phone is connected to an AI by the net, internet or by the phone networks. You know, all that data is being pushed from your Android or Apple phone to their server's and then it's being processed by giant computers the size of, you know, of industrial estate, and then it's being pushed back to your phone. For a camera, you, you have to have a smart database that's portable and the system and deep learning allows us to create algorithms quickly that can achieve those sort of levels of effect
1: yeah and let's just talk about the process of the the learning part of this how does deep learning teach itself what's the process that you guys take it through in order to build that algorithm
0: basically obviously all, what we're kind of have got an advantage um is that we obviously you know creating an, an image-based algorithm is that we have access to some of the best photographers in the world you know we work with all the leading agencies we have our ambassadors like helen and they can they've all provided us images uh which have fed into the system yeah. and we've basically created a a series of basic rules of what a person looks like, et cetera, and where you focus. They're very simple rules. And then the system goes away and analyzes hundreds of thousands or millions of images at different positions, et cetera, and then builds the algorithm and the patterns that it needs to recognize that this is a person. So, you know, a person uh, has arms and leg and the round thing at the top will often be their head yeah you know obviously with basic systems we've been in the past we've had face recognition which basically revolves on looking for a circle with two dots you know and that could be a balloon but the one's drawn on it or it could be a face and that's yeah. what it's looking for directly but what we've taken to the next step is you know describing what a person looks like and that really applies really sort of we start off with sports because that's quite difficult because sports people aren't always standing up smiling at the camera they're running around they're Actually, sometimes they're diving. If you think of diving, often the head's at the bottom rather than at the top. And there are many sports where people wear helmets and goggles, but you yeah. still instinctively as a human, when you look at another person, you look at their face. Even if they're wearing a helmet, that's what your body's always been designed to do. And that's what we look at first in an image often, if it's a picture of a skier, et cetera. Yeah. Even though he's got a nice, bright outfit on, et cetera, you tend to look at the helmet and then everything else comes in because that's the way we are programmed as humans. Yeah. But Cameron would see an object like that with a lovely, nice, big black and white number on their chest. And that's a lovely thing to focus on, you know, big black and white, right in the center of the picture. But that's not the most important thing for you. Mm-hmm. We're teaching the camera not to ignore those obvious things and choose to focus on the face, even if there's a helmet there. And to know that object above the numbers is the place that you need to concentrate on. You know, if you think of rugby people are diving so they're all often they're the best shots were horizontal rather than yeah. kind of vertical and that all those algorithms designed for sport then moves into improving our performance for portrait you know and eye tracking etc you know when we can deal with a fast moving object that means every fast moving object be it a you know a portrait a child be it a, a runner or a footballer they all kind of make the system can cope with all these kind of parameters yeah, yeah. But so it's really getting that big. The big core thing is having that big database, and it's having a database of great photographs, but also having not so great photographs. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be slightly focused, it can be slightly cropped. You know, arms and legs out the side. They're all moving around in yeah. different positions. The system then ha- has to recognise. It's like a where's, it's like a giant where's Wally kind of thing. It has to start to recognise the person and build yeah. the the pattern that says ah. That's the same as a man standing up, but this time he's he's kind of laying down or, or oh, this man's going into the water or here's a woman. Oh, she appears to be on a large animal of some sort. You know, you kind of building this system, say this is still a person that still recognizes the set parameters and knows where is the most important part to focus on.
1: It all just It's so complex, but it's so the results are just so impressive.
0: Yeah, it is. It, we can make it sound sim- more simple than it actually is, but it is very, very complex and sort mm. of detailed kind of system. And then once you've done that, you still have to kind of put it through its tests to make sure it's learned right. You know, you can't just go, oh, it seems to have done very well. You <laughs> yeah. have to actually go out and put it through its tests and Absolutely. do some tweaks on the algorithm as well to make sure it's actually perfect.
1: Yeah, yeah. And how is this technology going to change the way people engage with their cameras?
0: Well, as I said before, it's just a new step of automation, really. (laughs) Um, It's to make their jobs much easier. As I say, exposure is something that's kind of necessary evil to get the good picture and focusing is also one of those borderline things sometimes it's just you know it's just a required aspect but what makes a picture a picture? it's not either of those two the most often common thing to make a picture is composition and mm. judging the right moment you know the difference between uh, you know an average photograph and a great photograph is often when you press the button that actually capturing that magic moment yeah that, and if you don't have to worry about focusing you can concentrate on the two more important things
1: so on that note, Helen, in what ways has this technology changed the way that you shoot family portraiture? And, you know, how does it fit into your everyday work?
2: Well, I think Mike sort of sums it up very well. We're, as photographers, we're able to trust the camera to do a lot of the work for us. And obviously that doesn't mean that we don't have creative genius ourselves, but, you know, <laughs> the camera does, it It helps us along. It sort of deals with a lot more of the technical stuff. And this means that we can be more creative. So We can take pictures in situations that we might not have been able to do before, for example, you know, with the face tracking, we can really sort of, we can have the cameras above our heads, we can kind of shove them in a corner where we can't really see the screen. And I had an example over the summer when I was photographing some kids surfing and I was using the R5 with the EF100-400mm lens. And they were out on the water, I was standing on the beach and it was literally pouring with rain. You know, we were all drenched through. I wear glasses, so my glasses were covered in water, you know, the camera was covered in water. It was one of those kind of nightmare scenarios. And I was like, oh my God, I can't even see. But what I was able to do is I was able to get the face tracking work. Working. so I was able to look through the camera and concentrate on getting the sort of the composition where I wanted the waves where I wanted the background mm-hmm. and, you know the sort of cliffs and the camera was tracking these kids and it was tracking them as they went under the waves and then you know wow. when they fell off their surfboards obviously because they're kids they'd go under and they'd pop up and the camera was still on them so I was able to get these shots these kind of you know kids going like I'm the coolest kid in the world and then they're like oh my god I'm falling off and then sort of coming out <laughs> of the waves laughing
1: yeah
2: I've been able to do that before i mean apart from anything else i couldn't see anything through my glasses so it's allowing allowing trust with the camera i've got pictures that i wouldn't have been able to get before and i'm finding that you know as with all technology it's new and i mean for me technology is quite scary i'm not a very technical person i don't i don't find it easy and intuitive like some people yeah as i'm learning i'm finding All these things I can do. I was taking some pictures with another photographer friend the other day, and we had these kids weaving in and out of the trees, and we were using the cameras and we were tracking the kids. And you know, the kids are going behind the trees, they're popping out, they're behind the trees, they're popping out. And these cameras are able to track that. I mean, it's absolutely extraordinary. So as a photographer, I can be like, right, okay, I've got these trees. I want a really nice composition. I'm going Mm -hmm. to set the kids off to go and play hide and seek. And then I'm waiting for when And they, you know, run out, smile at me, going, ha-ha, I've just, (laughs) you know. And and I don't need to worry about the focus so much. And before otherwise, you'd spend all your time sort of being like, well, I want that composition, but I'm going to make a compromise because I've got to get the sharp focus. And now kind of the sharp focus is a given. And so I'm able to sort of concentrate on these compositions and it's, I mean, it's making taking pictures an absolute joy. It's, I mean, it's always been a joy, but it's just yeah, of making course. It even more fun because I can trust the cameras to do so much of the work.
1: Yeah. And you, I guess you're, you're able to achieve more and just think a bit more creatively as well. Exactly.
2: Exactly. And, you know, with portraits, particularly, you're seeing the same people every year often. So each year you've got to take better pictures. So it's not a case of just taking the same thing. You've always got to be pushing yourself forward. And so as the technology goes forward, us as photographers, we can push ourselves forward. And so the results get better. And It makes it really exciting
1: yeah yeah so I just want to go back to your beach shoot that you just mentioned Mm. I feel like this was a real wow moment for you you know the fact that you were shooting in less sea and the camera you could completely rely on the camera I think that speaks volumes to just how amazing technology is
2: it was absolutely extraordinary the first time they went under the waves and came up and it was still focused Like, oh my god this is this is amazing
1: and how else would you say this technology is changing the way you work
2: well, I'm finding I'm using I'm using a lot of the pre-programmed focus modes a lot because again, they're just freeing me up to sort of shift around for different things. So on the the one series and the R five and maybe the R six, I'm not sure. They've got these sort of pre-focus, pre-programmed modes that allow you to do different things. So it just sort of means that in different scenarios, you can use different different settings to get sort of very good results very quickly.
1: Yeah, um, Mike, which photographers or genres? would you say benefit the most from this technology? You know, we have spoken about sports photographers. But is there any kind of, and wildlife, are there any other areas perhaps?
0: Anything that has a, a person in the frame. So street photography, wedding photography, the, the face tracking and eye tracking is anything where the person is the most important aspect of the photography. So again, news guys, some of the news guys, you know, talking to the news agencies, et cetera, they're loving it because, you know, some of the photographers are tearing up, but they are like sort of these guys who are hanging around the news, you know, the uh, Downing Street. They are like, they're waiting to see who's got the latest toys and they're all like, Oh, you've got an R5. Yeah. And they all want to play with it while they're <laughs> all waiting for like someone to come out of Downing Street. And they're just amazed that, you know, this guy just taking the shot, locking onto the faces, tracking it. Bang. All my shots are done. Everything's fine. I'm off. Yeah. And they're like, Oh no, you know, I've got to, these guys are really appreciate because that makes their work life so much easier. But yeah. as I say, it, it's anything that it applies to so many types of photography because, photographing humans is one of our most popular things that you'll you know, ever photograph people photograph other people you know it's something that fascinates us all and it's the biggest kind of photography you know but as we say with the r5 and r6 we kind of took it to another level we introduced the sort of um the animal tracking sort of system which again we did exactly the same we did with the 1dx mark 3 but we applied it to animals now. We applied it to cats and dogs and birds. And obviously the birds was very complex to do because if you look at birds, um, mm-hmm. the shape of birds are very, very different. If you look at a, an owl to a flamingo, you know, mm-hmm. or a hummingbird to an ostrich, you know, they are such wide different shapes, but they're all birds. Some have like, no necks, some have very long necks, but the camera still has to recognize them and build an algorithm on that. And we've done an amazing job in building that thing uh, for birds and again flying around they can track them as they fly through the sky, you know, again, very different shape uh to when they are kind of uh we're all on the ground. And yet the camera still identifies and tracks them. And when it can, it obviously concentrates on their eyes. So wildlife is again probably the second most popular genre that we kind of have as a company um that people take photographs of animals. You know, I think the internet was built by cats and dogs, wasn't it, to uh, share pictures of themselves. <laughs> And <laughs> so therefore having these two sort of a uh, camera can identify them. And it's not just normal cats and dogs. It's obviously anything in the, those species, be it, you know, tigers, lions, etc. cetera. There's still, the still algorithm still applies to those. And so you can still track those. And when you're in the wild, you know, wild animals, like wild children, never do exactly what you want. You know, Helen will back me up on this. Yeah, You kind of, so you just have to track them and wait for that moment. And when they turn and the eyes and the camera will then lock onto the eyes, but it will follow them as they run around and, And when the right shot, when the face comes around and the eyes look at you, that's when you want their eyes and that's when the camera will lock on. But you will have lots of other shots in between. Because some of the action that you do, say if you're on safari, sometimes the action is the animals like running away, attacking another animal. You know, you know you, you, there is no face. It's, you know, it's, a, it's basically at the back. It's an object. And then later yeah. on, you'll get a picture of the shot. You know, they're not always the most uh, cooperative of creatures, shall we say.
1: Yeah, I think like you say, um, kids, animals,
0: very unpredictable. So Helen. Well, um, what they say about actors, you know, they never work with them.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that makes it fun. <laughs> <laughs> so Helen,
1: you know, someone who's been doing family portraiture for a long time, Talk me through your experiences of, you know, a few years ago before this technology was baked into your camera, to how you feel now and how easy or how much weight is lifted off your shoulders. How does it feel now this technology is in your life compared to five, 10 years ago?
2: It's totally different. I mean, just being able to trust the cameras is incredible. Um, And for example, I love to shoot wide open and I love to shoot movement. And, you know, as as Mike was saying earlier, sometimes, you know, if you're shooting kids running around, you think, well, I've got a 1.2 lens, but I best shoot it at F2 just just in case, you know, just to be on the safe side. But now I know I can track moving, running, jumping kids at 1.2, and especially with the new RF lenses, which are just extraordinary. Yeah, You're getting these incredible pictures that look beautiful, but also from a purely practical point of view, I often work in public places, and one of the important things for me is never to get anybody else's kids in my shot you know I don't want people who are wandering around the park in the back of my pictures so if I'm able to shoot at 1.2 know I'll get it sharp and also know that any sort of background plastic bins random other people and things is just a beautiful blur it just makes life much easier and it makes the pictures much nicer for the clients and it just makes the whole thing much more joyous and also Mm. I find that as as the technology moves on as photographers, we get this sort of challenge to push ourselves forward, which from a sort of personal creative point of view is, is sort of very fulfilling because otherwise, you know, if you have an idea and you're sort of hamstrung by the technology, then it's incredibly frustrating. But now you kind of know, well, if the camera can't do it, it's probably because I haven't realized how the camera can do it because the camera will be able to do it somehow. (laughs) It's which, which just makes things, makes things really fun. You know, the files coming out of them are beautiful and it's it's just a lot of a lot of fun and like you say it's really exciting isn't it it's really exciting yeah
1: Yeah. so you know you just mentioned AI technology developing further is there anything I don't know on your kind of wish list that you would like to see in the future that AI could do
2: oh some kind 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 of of magical thing to make a two-year-old sit really (laughs) sort of still
0: oh I could do with one of those too (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that would be
1: be dreamy. Um, Mike, as AI technology, you know, as it does develop further, what sort of things will people soon be able to achieve that they couldn't achieve in the past, realistically?
0: Well, I think everything was achievable in the past. It's just the, the amount of effort that went into it, I think, is there were so many ingenious photography and it was either through perseverance, luck, etc. that these things happened. But where the camera's making life easier is it, it just means you're just now down to the element of luck. You know, you just, you still have to be a bit lucky to get the, the great shots, but it's going to make life easier. As we keep saying, the um the creativity side becomes more and more important in the photography and the camera is just doing more and more for you. Um, and there's less things to worry about, less controls. You know, as Helen said before, you know, she can now the set a setting, a very quick setting in the camera. In the old days, it was like like a, you know, like a race car. You'd have to tune it to get it to be performed for different types of subject better. Now these cameras are automatically tuning themselves. You know, in the past, we had what we call F cases, which were kind of these tuning settings. Now it has an automatic version. So now it's using the smart sort Of deep learning thing to when it recognizes what the subject is, it can go ah, this is a like a tennis player, this looks like a tennis player, so therefore yeah. I can apply this setting, which is kind of the setting I would normally apply to that, and therefore it's changing how the AF system's adapting to the subject as well as recognizing the subject yeah. or at the same time. So it's you know, it's mind blowing how with what was kind of what a complex system of focusing, and how AF has progressed is now super, super easy. Yeah.
1: And what would you say then to the purists who state that machine learning? basically takes the skill out of taking a picture. What would you say to those people?
0: Well, yeah if you want to go to that level, then obviously, you know, the first man who sold coated glass plates for <laughs> large format cameras took away, started destroying photography all the way back in the uh, 19th century, you know.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, Cuz that was that was a level of skill of having to like cope toxic chemicals onto a glass plate. You know, technology moves on, it, it advances <laughs> yeah. photography and makes things easier all the time, you know. Having a roll of film was that cheating? You know, that was before you used to have to load C- Single sheets you know that was a Mm -hmm. progression and this is just a progression in technology focusing has been one of those elements that's you know even from the beginning of autofocus you know people thought it was cheating but then people realized it was a benefit not Mm -hmm. a kind of cheat it allowed them to do more to get more shots to achieve something that was very difficult before and this is just that next step of you know making things easy to achieve that to get a greater hit rate one of the biggest burdens of any photographer i think helen would say was having to edit your images to go through all your images to find the sharp ones to make sure which is the image and if you know that you only have to you know all your images are going to be sharp then you can concentrate on taking less photographs and there's less editing less time having to do the mundane things and more time to do the exciting things, which is taking the pictures rather than sitting there on your laptop, fiddling with them later on or working yeah. out which one's good and which one's bad.
1: And talking of editing, what role does AI have when it comes to the future of editing, would you say?
0: Oh, uh, it's, I think AI will be the next big kind of step in editing. You know, we already start to see some manufacturers and um, systems now bring AI into the editing process. So, you know, we've actually introduced with um, the R5 and one dx ray part of our DPP now has AI noise reduction so basically you take a raw image, you put it in DPP and it basically links to the Canon or to a third party kind of service system that we've got our Canon system running on that will actually apply deep learning noise reduction to your images in DPP. So that you get an extra level of noise reduction. You can get an extra stop and a half, two stops mm-hmm. of noise reduction because you're analyzing the image and working out where the best place to apply the noise reduction and not damage the image textually and contrastually. You know, you just... Applying the noise, uh, mapping it out much much easier than you can on a normal computer, which would take a lot of horsepower to process the same thing. You can harness these giant servers, which are super powerful, to uh, uh, you know process your images in these um quite simply. And you know you could do it even do it on your iPads, you know yeah. simple devices. You've got access to vast processing power. On the go with a simple device, because you can then use the AI systems to learn and improve your image processing.
1: I know a lot of people that spend hours sorting through their f- through their pictures, and it's quite time-consuming.
0: Yeah, well, that's the next. I think that's the next step of the, the AI systems is that, that they'll help you sort the images as well. They'll identify and start to warn you. Say this image is unsharp, this image is sharp, etc. We can help you reduce your editing time. It kind of kind of groups them together into you know, good power, bad power, maybe powers, so and that makes your life a lot easier in the processing stage.
1: Yeah, yeah. How how far away do you think we are from seeing this kind of technology come into fruition?
0: I think it's it's you know, we, as I said, we start to see it pop up more and more, more and more editing software applying mm-hmm. AI systems to it. So. It's not that far away. I think it's um, going to take some time for it to be fine tuned to. it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Be, uh, yeah,
0: because I'm, yeah, I'm from an era maybe uh, where you just go to like, you know to, to these processors, then they will put stickers on your photos to say that oh this one's got red eye or this one so and so, mm-hmm. and sometimes well, this image is not right. you know, badly exposed, and you know that's why I wanted it. Yeah, you know, there's a yeah a cross between creative intent and basically and bad photograph and ai needs to be taught to recognize when you know when you've creatively done something
1: yeah because i guess it's not it's not as simple as you know the ai and af you know there's a bird there's a child there's this person you know there's a bit there's a bit more that complex layers because not everyone has the same idea about a picture like you say it could be overexposed but that could be the point that could be yeah it could
0: be there's a yeah it could be compositionally could be you know abstract you know you could be photographing on a puddle and it's actually everything else out of focus, but the puddle is sharp and what's in the puddle is sharp. And that's the beautiful part of the photograph. But sort of 70% of the image is out of focus. And that's where we kind of have to get back into that deep learning to teach.
1: Yeah. Helen, how much of a godsend would the AI-infused editing be for you? <laughs> it would certainly save me a lot of time. <laughs> I imagine, you know, you're constantly clicking and you're staring at the same picture quite a lot. You know, like you say, with the kids in the waves or kids in trees, And it's sometimes just a slight intricate difference that makes the photographs, I'm sure.
2: Exactly, especially when you've got, you know, big families and you've got like sort of seven people in a shot and you're like, okay, I need the one where they all look good. Um, It does does take some time. But although equally there is a... I think there's a joy in the edit too. You see where your mistakes are, you see what you need to learn, you yeah. need to, you know, there's, but I have to admit there will be times, particularly in the run-up to Christmas when things are busy and you'll just <laughs> be like, oh, thank God for the AI wonder that can cut it down a bit. I think that'll be amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I've got a little bit of a left field question um, for, for you, Mike. Would you say that, you know, a lot of a lot of camera manufacturers a lot of brands are introducing artificial intelligence into their cameras as a way to keep up with smartphones and not keep up because smartphones are you know have, have superior photography they definitely don't but is this a kind of a knee-jerk response to the way that smartphones are evolving do you think
0: i think smartphones have been pioneers in in developing ai algorithms mm-hmm. those algorithms are now widely available the way where camera manufacturers are applying them is kind of different to the way the phone systems are doing it we are you know For the system, you know, the focusing with a smartphone, it's basically, focusing is not really an issue because the sensor's so small. They're more worried about trying to defocus an image and make it all blurry, you know. That's what they're trying to do on a smartphone, where on an SLR, that's never been an issue, you know. Mm. Um, it's We're almost going the opposite way. We're trying to improve the sharpness and making sure it's focused in the right places, while smartphones are trying to make it out of focus in the right places shall we say but because these algorithms and the systems that to drive it are becoming more readily available that means the technology is there for us to leverage to then bring different set, feature sets into the cameras yeah ai is now all around us you know, at yeah. home you've got your um, your series and your alexas etc so it's it's a much more regular part of what we you know of everyday life and people are expecting more from their products to do mm. be cleverer
1: yeah yeah and i know you kind of touched on how you envision ai enhancing the photographic process But is there any thing that you haven't maybe mentioned that you see ai really enhancing you know the photographic experience
0: the, the processing is the next step as i say uh, that having this more powerful processing that you can do in the computer um, yeah. and not just on your home computer you would be able to do it on the go on your ipad on your phone, you can take your shots, you can you know, the R five is fantastic because the R five can shoot images and you can upload them to Google Photos or to Adobe Cloud and then you've got online processing there and it be able to then process your images on your iPad while sitting on the train or the bus. But actually you're you're actually leveraging the horsepower of, you know, the whole the apple's kind of silicon valley processing thing to be mm. able to process your images on a, a device that's so small and so simple you know at home you would need a massive supercomputer to do the same level yeah, of processing. Yeah. and you're getting that level of processing and detail so we can get more and more detail sharper images less noise you know retouch you know on the go so much easier than you could before where before you'd have to be sitting in front of a, a large workstation these kind of facilities will come to your fingers you know on yeah. the go
1: and it's going to completely just change people's workflow. You can just do it anywhere on a train, sitting on the floor at a trade show. You know, you could be, yeah. you know, doing... yeah. I'm
0: sure someone like Helen has been to, you know, she doesn't work and then she has to do a, a trade show or something. Or, like, you know, in the old days, the photography show, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, there were spare moments you could actually just be doing some stuff on her iPad. You know, yeah. it's not because she's out to the office doesn't mean, you know, those wasted moments of traveling to and from places you could still be processing now, you could be working. In those times, they're not down times and that gives you all when you're home home, you've got more time to be with the family. Yeah. You're not actually yeah. having to work those extra hours, you know. Sometimes as a photographer, you travel long distance to do a shoot, and then you travel back. And those travel times sometimes you're not doing a lot. You could actually be sort of working on the images. Yeah,
1: could be getting stuff done. Yeah. I bet this sounds incredibly appealing
0: to you right now, Helen. I
2: I was just thinking, oh, but I I sleep on the train.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. Depends what the noise that someone on the carriage is making next to you. But yes.
2: (laughs) But yes, it sounds brilliant. Because, yeah, the more you can sort of do, and then if you've got clients that want to see things quickly and you don't want to show them straight out of the camera, to be able to just do a quick edit on something and make it look, you know, just so, and that kind of stuff is going to be incredibly useful for so many photographers.
0: Yeah, you know, just to, to interject, you know, uh, Helen's like, you know, if you got your particular style, your particular kind of um black and white kind of, you know, effect, you could quickly apply that in this on the iPad. So you can actually show what the image will look like. You've taken it in color in raw and you go, yeah, but when you get it, it's going to be black and white. Now you could actually give them a preview yeah. straight away and they can actually go, oh, yeah, you can apply your, you know, your look to the mm. previews. So they actually get a better idea of what you're delivering, what they see to what you deliver is obviously obviously going to be very different. And now it's easier to kind of demonstrate that kind of appeal of why they've hired you and and your standard look to images. You know, in the past, you've had to kind of, they've had to have some vision of, oh, it's colour now, what's going to look like in black and white? And it's that magic of how did she do
1: that? Yeah. So, Helen, are there there any other ways maybe that you think that AI technology could further aid the way you work that we haven't mentioned? Is there anything that you think, this would be great for me?
2: I don't know, really. I think as a sort of... As someone who spends their time thinking about images rather than technology, Mm -hmm. I always kind of feel it's a bit like Christmas Day. You kind of, you don't know what's going to be in your stocking and everything that pulls out is incredibly exciting and opens up new possibilities. Yeah. So I just spend my time thinking about the images and wait for Canon to sort of say, here's a new box of tricks that you can create something new with. So I'll just sort of wait and see, I think. But it's not just about getting that box of chicks. It's about
1: getting a box of chicks that, like you say, you focus on the creative side. You can rely on that technology to get the job done. I'm still really impressed by your story about not being able to see (laughs) your glasses and the camera just completely doing the work for you. I just think that is incredible. It was amazing. Well, on that note, that brings us to the end of our podcast. And if you'd like to share your thoughts on this episode, make sure you reach out to us at shutterstoriespodcast at gmail.com. Please make sure you join us next time
2: thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode of Shutter Stories, you can rate and subscribe in the episode's listing. To find more stories and to find us on social, you can click on the links in the episode's description.